Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Serenity Sunday is now hybrid, meeting in person at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills and on Zoom. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroups webpage at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live in either iteration. Now that we're meeting in person, Serenity Sunday has regular meeting expenses and would appreciate Seventh Tradition donations to help support the meeting and this podcast. You can donate via Venmo at Serenity Sunday. Last four digits of the phone number are 6255 or through PayPal, Serenity Sunday 1212 at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday podcast are those of the individual speaker and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And now, our speaker. My name is Michael again, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Michael. I'm glad I'm aware of that this morning, very aware of that. And uh, I wish you could be here in person. You could see Kathy's blue fingernails. They just <laughs> they match her, her. We're not affiliated with any sect, but she's got a very sectarian dress on right now. I'll say, it, say it that way. It's really, really cool. So this is weird. This is kind of, uh, can you want me to talk louder? This is kind of weird, Joan, because um, it's, uh, it's we, I, the last time I was here, it was a huge room and it was in a different venue. It was in the multi-purpose room. And so I'm looking and I, and I see there are people in other rooms that are larger than us. And um, so anyway, it's just weird and it's surreal. And for me, it's, it was very, it, I think I came back to in-person meetings, maybe uh, a little less than two years ago, but I was afraid to come uh, because I, I'm just a fear-based person, if you didn't know that. And COVID is a little fearful. I don't know if any of you had it. I finally got it. I'm a teacher and I see about 600 kids a week and I lasted for two years without getting uh, COVID. But uh, about two months ago, uh, I got it and I, I'm a very generous person. I gave it to my wife. <laughs> So uh, we uh, recovered together and it wasn't bad. We, we had the vaccinations and uh, we were about to get the, the latest one, but a week prior that it got us, COVID got to us. So now, uh, you know, I can't wait to get the, the, the next one, um, but I, you got to wait about 90 days because your body has to adapt. And my grandson has had it. My grandson, uh, Eli, has had it uh, three times and he's got it now. He's down with it now. So this is a real thing, but thank God for vaccinations and thank God, you know, we're not dying with this, this uh, crazy stuff that we have out there. So anyway, when I came to you a long time ago, I wonder, John, have you been around since the eighties? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> John and I had uh, black hair. I don't know. Was your hair black? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a trip. Uh, it was, um, I didn't, um, I really, I, 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 I was a year, I'm in a, a, a AA and I had um, a year sober and I had a three pack a day cigarette addiction and, uh, and I was dying literally. Uh, and, uh, and I started to share about it in meetings and the old timers told me to shut up. 
And I got angry at the old timers because I thought in program, you can just say whatever you want to. But we have traditions. If you're new, there are traditions in, in that you take took me a long time to, to understand them. And the tradition is the basic tradition is that of identification. And if I'm an AA because I have a drinking problem, they don't even want you to talk about drugs sometimes in AA. We have to really trust each other and identify with our eating problem in order for us to recover, at least for me to recover. And if somebody's talking about something else, I fog out real, real, real easy. So somebody told me to go to Smokers Anonymous. Now it's called Nicotine Anonymous, where their primary problem was addiction to cigarettes or tobacco. And so I went there and I bitched and complained for about six weeks. And, and, and the three-pack-a-day cigarette problem was removed. And it was a miracle. And but I, I gained 30 pounds in 30 days. And it wasn't the first time that I had compulsively overate, but it's the first time I was aware of it. I was clean, I was sober. And um, and so I went back to AA, you know, and I, and I said, you know, I stopped smoking, but now I can't, I can't stop eating. And the old timers just said, what's wrong with you? The primary purpose is alcohol, shut up. And I didn't get that offended because, you know, you guys kind of toughen me up. You give me a, because we're crazy, you know what I mean? And we have to learn how to live with each other, at least I do. And uh, so I went to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I listened to you. Uh, a lot of you didn't eat sugar. A lot of you didn't eat uh, what white flour. Three meals a day, nothing in between, structured meals. And so I thought, well, I can do this. But I couldn't and uh, tried to do it on my own. And it took me about a year to come and say, my name's Michael. I'm a compulsive eater and I need help. I don't know how to do this. And Matt Masterman, may he rest in peace. He's a hundred pounder. He gave me his phone number. He said, Michael, call me and let me know what you're going to eat. And I said, I don't want to let you know what I'm going to eat. I don't know what I'm going to eat. And he said, well, why don't you call me at the end of the day and tell me what you ate? And so I could do that. And I have no idea what I ate, but I can guarantee you it was cleaner <laughs> than what I was doing it on my own. I wanted to impress him. And he got me in the habit of taking a fifth step with my food. And uh, you're new, admitting to God, to myself and another human being, the exact nature of my food. What I'm stuffing in my body, because the stuff that's bad for me tastes the best. And um, um, I was thinking about this on the way over here. I think the thing that really made me surrender, one of the things that I remember, I had ordered a numero uno pizza. It was a huge, nice, good sized pizza. And it was the night of the Academy Awards. And, um, and I was just eating it, eating it and eating it. And then I woke up and the Academy Awards were over. And I was pissed off because I really wanted to watch the Academy Awards. And I don't think I, I don't remember ever blacking out from overeating. And this time I said, well, maybe I have a so uh, Matt uh, was very nurturing to me, and um, I guess I used him as a sponsor for a while, and I started to come to you guys. And uh, I have um, I have problems other than compulsive overeating in my in my family. There's a mental illness in my family. My mother was a schizophrenic uh, in the early '50s. They diagnosed her um, uh, with schiz schizophrenia, and she had what's the lobotomy operation where they cut your brain out the part that they thought was diseased and it was supposed to make you better and it didn't make her any better but it didn't make her any worse and so um in her i think she was 44 when she died at camarillo state hospital she keeled over going to get a pack of cigarettes ironically and she just died of a heart attack with all the shock treatments and all the drugs that you know they were giving her so 
Anyway, I thought in the morning when I didn't want to get up and go to work that I might have a chemical imbalance going on. And my sponsor would tell me, you know, whether you have a chemical imbalance or not, go to work. But you don't understand, you know, I'm doing menial jobs, I'm filing, you know, and they'd ask me to work full time. And, uh, and I told them no, because I, was, I thought I was an actor in those days. Um, I needed to be available for auditions. So I'd work until noon, and then I'd go to the beach, and I'd, I'd work on my tan. I'm sure there were a few corn dogs from the pier that were involved in that, uh, <laughs> that uh, process. And, uh, but I never went on auditions because I was scared to death. I told you, if you're like me, you're fear-based. And without a program, it's either food or God. You know, and there's nothing, nothing in between. So I was uh, choosing uh, food in those days. So when I came to you guys and I got sober and I got abstinent, sponsor said, well, go ahead. If, if you quit that job, go ahead and get another job, you know, to back you up. You don't want to be without income. And I remember calling Richie. Richie uh, ended up being my sponsor in this program. Richie was from New York and he was a, a working actor and he had lost well over 100 pounds. And, uh, and I would tell him, you know, Richie, I'm just so bored with this job. I'm so exhausted. All I do is file. And he said, <laughs> you know, Michael, if you were going to be an actor, a lot of actors work full time and then they go and they do shows, you know. And I thought, not me, you know. I don't like to work. I still don't like to work. <laughs> I'm uh, Anyway, so anyway, I, I pulled away from you. And I uh, started to get into psychotherapy in the early 80s. That if you got a teddy bear and if you uh, hugged it and you were talked to your inner child, you got a lot of attention from ladies and overeaters anonymous. <laughs> but I wanted it. And uh, and so I went the whole gamut. I got tennis rackets. And I got in touch with my anger. And then I come to you and you say, resentment is the number one offender, the dubious luxury of normal man. And, you know, I could, I was going crazy. Do I, do I express it or do I look at you and try to get out of myself? So guess what I chose? A keen compulsive reading mind chose therapy. And I ended up with about three therapists and group therapy. And I just, I was just crazy. And it's like, um, I don't know if you're trying to practice abstinence without working a program, without calling your sponsor, without having a commitment at a meeting, people get ugly. The world gets ugly and I get mad and I quit my job and I didn't have another job to back me up, but I was happy for about three months until the money ran out and the lady that I was living with couldn't support me in the manner to which I was accustomed. In other words, she couldn't pay the rent on, on her own without my help. And, um, and I got really, really scared. And I had to go to the landlady and, you know, tell her, well, I can't pay and blah, blah, blah. Life got, got scary. So I heard there's a guy in our big book, um, Dr. Paul. And if you guys have read the, uh, on acceptance, I think that's the name of the story now. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems. And he was a speaker and I always wanted him to, I wanted to hear him. So I went to an AA meeting and he was speaking and he had said from the podium that never in my 20 some odd years of sobriety have I had a problem to which the 12 steps did not offer me a solution. I forgot about the 12 steps. It was like a breath of fresh air, but I was all crazy in my head. I was using again. Um, you know, in my program, since I'm also an alcoholic, if I start popping pills, if I start smoking grass, if I start drinking, I, I have that, that obsession. So I'm not 
I'm not abstinent if I do that. So Paul helped uh, get me back to the program. I was too afraid to uh, ask him for his number, but Max, his wife, was sitting in the front row. And I, and I called him, and uh, he helped wean me away. And he was a doctor, too. So he knew Michael, I have amends. I have amends to make to you because I didn't realize you wanted a 15 minute warning. So yeah. you have not. I'm giving you a nine warning. I cool. apologize. I, I'm also controlling. I go to another program for that. <laughs> and on my watch, I have nine minutes exactly. Eight minutes <laughs> I'm so sorry. Thank you. I forgive you. No apology <laughs> necessary. I'm not going to turn my will and my life over to the timer for Christ's sake. <laughs> when I can do it myself, but thank you so much for being diligent and, and doing your job. Um, all right. So I got back to the program and I got involved in a very structured and disciplined home group in my prime, in my, in, in you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, they got me taking commitments and go to meetings early and just go late and you, and, uh, you know, you're going to talk, you put on a coat and a tie because you're representing um, a program that's saving your life. And would you put on a coat and tie if you go to church, go to synagogue? No, I probably wouldn't, <laughs> but I do it because I'm trained to do it. And, you know, sometimes you act as if and you feel better on the inside. So I adhere to those traditions and I take them to my OA program. And I tell people in the other program that need help in Overeaters Anonymous, if you're gonna work that program with diligence, you gotta come here and work it with the same diligence. You know? And even though the meetings aren't the same and they chant at meetings and they do all this, we're, we do weird stuff, but we have to we have to surrender. I have to surrender to Overeaters Anonymous like a, like a man whose life is being saved. So that's why I'm talking to you today. Um, what my life is like now, um, John, I talked to John. I'm kind of interested to hear what he, he changed careers recently. And um, I didn't have a career. I was an actor that went to the beach a lot. And um, so um, so I went to my sponsor and I told him, um, what did I say? Oh, well, I guess I don't even remember. He told I told him that I had was student teaching for 17 years prior. And then I went out and I practiced my disease. And, and I told him that, and he said, well, why don't you go talk to a counselor and to find out what it would take to get your, your credential? And I said, I don't want to get a credential. I want to act. You know, I like to go to the beach. And he said, well, Michael, it's not about whether you're an actor, a dentist, a doctor, whatever you do for a living. The, the spiritual premise is go back and complete something that you left incomplete. <laughs> and there's a lot of that. That's what steps eight and nine are all about. And... Um, he said, can you talk to a counselor? And I said, yeah. And so I went and talked to a counselor. And I remember, I hope he's alive. His name was Mr. Seminowitz. And he was crazy. And he couldn't find my, I was a liberal studies major. I don't know if you took that in college. For those of us who didn't know what we wanted to do, we do liberal studies. And it gave you a little smattering of everything. And, and I, I don't know about you, I kind of cheated my way through college. And um so uh, you ever, you know, you write the answers and you, you go like this and you kind of look at it. It's not a good way. You know, you don't, you get hungry doing that when you get an adult, when you remember stuff like that. So Mr. Saminowitz was obsessed with finding my records, my liberal studies, because they didn't have that major or something at 17 years prior. And he finally found their records. And he looked at it and he goes, oh, Michael, you only need like two more classes to get your credential. Are you sure it was 17 years ago? No, that's only. So I went back to my sponsor and said, well, kid, can you take a class? Yeah. 
and I took a class and I wasn't necessarily interested in what I was taking, but I didn't cheat. And I actually studied and I actually got an A in the class and that felt good. Went back and I took the other class and the next indicated step, I'm student teaching <laughs> and I'm, I'm following this mentor teacher around and on Wednesday or whenever it was, her third grade class would go into a special day class of kids that had orthopedic impairments and they were in walkers and wheelchairs. And I saw these kids and for some reason I fell in love. I just felt my, I felt such empathy. And um, thank you. So try to get this really quick because there's a lot that goes on in 32 years, 32 years with you guys. Um, so I went to audition for a special day class and I didn't have any credentials, but when I student taught, the kids wrote me little letters and the substitute teacher put it together in a book. Mr. Blanc, we love you. You're the best teacher. Don't leave us, blah, blah, blah. So when I went for this position, I said, I don't have a resume, but this is my resume. This is for my, I was honest. And the principal said, you got the job, Michael, if you are willing to go to get another special ed credential. What? So, but I did just by following step by step. And, uh, and it took me years to get the special ed while I was teaching, while I was making good money, while I was having a lot of vacation. If you're a teacher, you get, we got three weeks coming up, baby, winter break, and it's paid. <laughs> you know, when you don't work, you know, or you get these part-time jobs, when you don't work, you don't get paid. Yes. So um, there's all kinds of directions, isn't there? <laughs> Says, please don't lean with full weight on the podium. So I must have been leaning. Anyway, so I, uh, if they don't find me out, I'd be, uh, and I'm not teaching special ed anymore. I did that for 11 years. I uh, followed the next indicated event, and now I'm a theater arts teacher, right? And I don't know if the kids are learning anything about theater arts, but man, I got a lot of program in there and a lot of singing and dancing. I see I'm at a different school every day. I've been doing that job for 17 years. I walk on the campus, Mr. Block. Every, all the kids are like that. I go, please, more, more. <laughs> it's a wonderful ego stroke, but even more than the ego, if kids felt, feel like I did when I was in school, it was horrible. I had my disease long before I ever took my first compulsive bite. I just felt like I was from another planet and I knew that there was something intrinsically wrong. With me. So I'm trying to love the kids What I call Richie and I'd say, Richie, they want us to test and they're giving all kinds and they're, I'm getting stalled this year. You know what stalled is? I'm getting observed. I have a supervisor coming to watch me and, uh, and I'm scared to death, but it's not going to be until after the Christmas break. So right now I'm not scared, but when you see me after the Christmas break, I'll be fetching to you guys <laughs> how scared I am so I don't have to eat. I don't have to use food to anesthetize myself. Um, I'm an only child because, you know, they, uh, my, they couldn't have, they didn't want to have any children after they had me. Those of you plan and think, you know, that you, that my, my parents waited five years to have me to see if they were compatible and that everything was going to be okay. Then they had me and then my mom went into her schizophrenia. So you never, never know. So I never knew that I was going to have four children being an only child. I have one from my past wife and I have three from my current wife. And uh, the one from my past wife, um, he got sober 15 years ago, clean and sober. I used to take him to meetings with me. He had a problem. My youngest son 
was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He's 23 years old. Very, very hard to watch. Um, they have medication now that they didn't have in the early 50s. Um, he lives with us. He got himself a job. He's intelligent. He had a scholarship to Bennington College in Vermont. And then he isolated and had to go down there and just kind of pick him up because we got really, really scared. And the two girls in between, um, Illy and Issa, Illy finally made a decision to become a teacher. So she's in her first year with LA Unified. And Illy is a teacher's aide. And, uh, and I have a wife that puts up with all my Michigans. <laughs> and uh, that in itself was, was a gift. My sponsor gave me a mantra today. Um, and it's on my phone because I forget. And it says something to the, let me see if I can get the exact thing. And then I'm going 